This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning. We're going to be talking TV today. As always, I'm joined by my colleague, Andrew Mercado. Look, we're going to start with a few things that are on Stan this week, um, but then we'll also be covering off something on Netflix, uh, Borgen, which we uh, I promised last week I'd uh, be checking up on. I'll talk about that. Um, look, I'm going to be talking about one of the most disgusting things I've seen on TV for a long time. Um, Andrew knows probably what I'm alluding to, but we'll get to that later in the episode. Um, going to be talking about a, um, a big production show featuring um, people in drag, which is uh, sounds pretty interesting, a big UK um, show. We're going to be looking into our retro section. We'll be looking at it's got another English flavour next week, but it was um, recorded in Australia with a, quite a big TV star. But let's start off with these um, programs that are on stand. We talked about this yeah. one last week too, The Midwich Cuckoos, um, starring our, one of our favourite actresses, Keely Hawes. Um, and I think it's fair to say she's less of a a key character than she has been in some of her other shows, but she does have um, a, an important role. But um, one of the criticisms I've seen of this, Andrew, is that the the cast it's a quite a um, not so it's a bit of a flat. Uh, there's no real standout actors. Don't get a real chance to star in this. Oh really? Oh geez, yeah, I haven't. We, we better we, talk about what the show is called, right? Yes, so the Midwich Cuckoos. Did I say that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but and it's like it's a science fiction. It's it's um, John Wyndham, who back in the day was a big deal in sort of when it comes to authors. You know, I remember in my in my dim dark past, I ran a bookshop for a while, and and he was one of the the, the must have. You know, you'd have your must read um, authors in all different genres, and for fiction. We used to sell a lot of John Wyndham books. You know, he was very popular and Midwich Cookers was one of his go-to uh, novels. It's uh, set in a fictional English um, village, if you like, and there's sort of a, a, an alien force visits the town for a, for, a, for a brief, I don't know, a few hours and something happens to people who are in the area they visited that they try and that the rest of the unravels during the rest of the series. True. Well, of course, the novel by uh, John Wyndham, who also wrote Day of the Triffids, which is another, you know, really famous sci-fi title that's been made over and over again over the years. And I didn't realise that The Midwitch Cuckoos was the name of the original novel because when I saw the trailer for this, I thought, I've seen this before, and sure enough, I have. It's been made as a movie twice, and it's called Village of the Damned. And I think if you know that film or you've heard of that film, you know that it's about some very, very creepy children. Um, the film was made in 1960, a British film. Uh, John Carpenter remade it in the 90s with Christopher Reeve, moved it to California. It wasn't well received. So now uh, Sky in the UK have gone to making this six-part series. And I'm literally, I've got about 10 minutes to go on the last episode. I was trying to okay. finish the price for <laughs> Look, I love a creepy children's sci-fi drama. What can I say? And I haven't <laughs> noticed that 
uh, none of the actors are particularly standing out because, you know, uh, how does Keely Hawes and Max Beasley compete against all of these incredible dead-eyed children with, you know, weird haircuts that are staring at adults getting ready to do bad things to them? I've totally been hooked by it and really been enjoying it. Yeah, not too many spoilers, please. I'm only into the second episode, so... Um, yeah. Um, yeah, but I just see... Well, so far for me, Keely Hawes really didn't... Do, hasn't had to do much. She yeah. she plays as sort of a a child. What is she? A um, psychologist. A, a child psychologist. That's that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she's a bit of a unifying force, a, a voice of common sense as this village tries to grapple with what they've been presented with. But but she hasn't really had to. Her character hasn't really had to do a lot. But maybe that will change as I get into it. It's coming. You see okay. some, you know, her backstory gets developed. She has a backstory and that comes out in later episodes. Okay. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she is pretty vital in dealing with all of these creepy children that result from this uh, blackout event in the town. Um, I've really, really been enjoying it. And I reckon you should stick with it, James, and don't listen to the critics. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not about to um, jump out of it. That's for sure. You know me. I'll, I'll stick with anything, no matter how crappy it gets. So we'll, we'll find out one later on that I'm not going to stick with. Um, but the the, the midwich cookies. Yeah, I think that I, I love the production. It's. It seems. Look, I'm not that familiar with the book, but I'm thinking it's very true to to perhaps what what Wyndham um, proposed in the novel. Because it seems very workmanlike. It seems you know to be very carefully. It walks through walks through the story and it, it all sort of, you know, it unfolds, um, which which I like. It's interesting that um, you, you do get, you do think of things like The Handmaid's Tale as you're watching it, but it's not as, it's not as sort of um, dark and, I don't know, dystopian as that, as, as that is, if you like. But it's, I saw an interesting quote from uh, Margaret Atwood, of course, the author of The Handmaid's Tale. She um, cited John Wyndham as an influence, which I thought was interesting. Wow. Yeah. yeah, look, I am assuming that this is going back to the original novel for inspiration uh, because if they weren't doing that, they would have called it Village of the Damned. I mean, that is quite well known in horror circles and if they were wanting to do their own spin on that novel, they'd have stuck with the better-known title. Like, I, I didn't pick it at all. The Midwich Cuckoos, I was like, what the hell is this? But the trailer gave it away for me and that's when I looked it up and discovered, yep, that is Village of, of the Damned by its original novel title. So I'm assuming we, we're going right back to what John Wyndham always intended. But the story is set in modern times. I'm sure that, you know, people weren't on mobile phones in uh, a novel that was written in the 50s, obviously. But, you know, just moving it to modern day, I still think they're trying to keep us close to the original source material and stick it in an English village and not a Californian coastal town, which John Carpenter did so disastrously in his remake. Yeah, the uh, the opening um, gives you a bit of a hint of what's to come with that spooky sort of uh, child, um, and then it then it goes off to start the story after you get to see that. And I love the underlying threat that sort of runs runs through that opening episode of it's everything yeah. just seems normal and people are going about their um 
their sort of chores and facing the normal dramas that, that families have and things like that, but then it, that it all starts to go a little bit weird. And I guess what inspires Margaret Atwood is that when things are going very weird, that's when the government sort of, you know, are there in the mm. town and, of course, they've got their own shady operation going on as well. So that's probably the part that inspired The Handmaid's Tale maybe. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and the police and the military get involved and and they're sort of not sharing with the public what's going on. And I think there's that scene early on that someone asked, oh, is that a camera watching us? There's that, you know, it's um, there's, there's, there's a sort of addresses a lot of issues that um, are still, you know, still scary for people um, these days, I guess. Uh, uh, something else that's cropped up on Stan, everything I know about love. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to dip into this one yet. Yeah, I watched the first episode for you. Um, okay. And, of course, I kind of loved it. I don't know when I'm going to yeah. have time to watch it, but, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was really sassy and it wasn't what I was expecting it to be. When I saw that title, I just thought, oh, God, this is some rom-com, <laughs> you know. But, but then I watched it and, and it wasn't what I was expecting it to be, so I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's it's sort of um, the sort of the brief synopsis is it's about um, it's two two protagonists mainly uh, two two girlfriends but there's four four people who are renting a, a house together. Um, it's about bad dates, heartaches, and humiliations. So it's the um, it's people in their twenties um, sort of going through life in the UK. It's it's based on a very successful and popular book by Dolly Alderton, which was sort of a memoir about, you know, what she experienced growing up in the 20s. Look, there's there's echoes of Heartstopper, I thought. You know, it's um, not totally dissimilar. It's a little bit older. That was people sort of in their, the end of their sort of school years. This sort of goes on to people, you know, as they're out into the workforce. Um, and I thought it was... a and if you like an intelligent Emily in Paris, you know, with that. <laughs> Every, anything is more intelligent than Emily in Paris. <laughs> I thought when I read it was about a share household, I wondered it was going to have a bit of a this life vibe. And, of course, it's not that show at all. It's about four girls in their 20s sharing a flat in Camden and in particular, it's about the the very good friendship between these two girls. And you see in a flashback that they've been friends since childhood. And, and the story seems to be zeroing in on that friendship and maybe what changes when uh, men start coming into their lives. Yeah. And I, I, as I was watching this, I thought, too, it, streaming has addressed one of the big problems you used to have with uh, free-to-air networks in Australia of not showing programs as soon as they were available. But yeah, stream, streaming has changed the game completely, hasn't it? These these shows now globally, with, with few exceptions, are rolled out straight away. In fact, I think we're getting everything I know about love even before the US. I think, wow. it starts, I think it's on Hulu there a little bit later this month. I might be wrong. Need to check that, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's only just... We're getting at the same time that it's launched in the UK. So look, it's 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 just you know it's just dropped really quickly. I think it's doing very well for Stan too. Uh, they told me now the the two characters are a Maggie and Birdie. I, I yep. guess if of the two, Maggie seems to have the the sort of the spotlights on her 
um, at least in the initial episodes, pretty much. Uh, she's played by Emma Appleton, who was actually um, played Nancy Spungen in Pistol. Wow, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. She Not a lot of screen credits, as you would expect. Both her and Birdie were played by um, Belle Powley. Uh, both very young, sort of still at the uh, – their careers are just still very fresh. Um, Birdie or, or Belle Powley was in uh, The Morning Show. I think she was one of the producers on The Morning Show. You know, I've been trying to figure out where I knew her from. I was going to IMDb. I'm glad you told me that. But it's interesting, James, when you talk about um, us, you know, watching shows all around the world at the same time. Last night's episode of Charlie Pickering – did a in-depth story on Netflix and sort of talked about the history of how we used to have, you know, four or five TV channels and we all watched the same thing every night and came to work and talked about the water cooler moments around the water cooler. And it was sort of talking about how that doesn't really happen anymore, but it kind of does happen on a global scale, but only at the start. So when a show drops on the weekend, I think there's a lot of social media chatter then. But then, of course, as it goes on, by the time you get to the next weekend, there's some new show that's dropped and everybody's talking about that. So there is this brief window for us to kind of be on a global water cooler social media uh, but if they're bi- if they're dropping all the episodes at once, it, it kind of comes to an end uh, unless they do a week by week thing. It happens, but it's not happening in the office so much. But sometimes it's happening on social media all around the world. Sure, sure. Now the third thing that's um, on Stan, which we'll um, talk a little bit about, Queer as Folk, one of your yes. uh, favourite uh, franchises, I believe. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a UK version as written by Russell T Davies before Doctor Who, very shocking for its time on Channel 4. Then the Americans remade it, uh, resituated it in Pittsburgh, um, and now there's a new one. Now, i got to admit, James, I was hugely sceptical going into it. I just saw a bit of the trailer and I just thought, uh, I don't think I want to watch this, and I did watch it. And I absolutely loved it. And I rank it right up there as one of the greatest ever reimaginings along with Wentworth when they did Prisoner. Because what I love about it is that they take the key points of the original story and the original characters and they have those same story beats, but then there's always a twist or a something not happens that is the complete opposite of what you thought was going to happen because you've watched the original. And I love that. And I've watched the first episode and I still can't quite figure out which character is which from the original. They're there, but they're so different that I'm actually having trouble trying to figure out which one's going to be the Sharon Gless type mother character. Is it going to be the mother played by Kim Cattrall or is it going to be the mother played by Juliette Lewis? Time will tell. But I just thought this was just such a great spin on what is a really great story. And I love now that it isn't about a bunch of white gay men with two lesbian friends who are really boring. This is much more of its time. We're non-binary, we're trans, uh, and the one thing you'll really notice in this show is uh, the disability factor. We've got uh, actors who are bilateral amputees. 
We've got deaf actor Niall DeMarco and uh, we've got an actor with cerebral palsy who has his own Netflix show. So, you know, the universe of Queerest Folk, as always, is even, not as always, but is now more inclusive than ever. Yeah, it sounds like they've got the casting probably uh, pretty much right. Um, and you mentioned the franchise has been around for a while. There was a there was a TV movie too, wasn't there? So saying goodbye, which sort of wrapped up the um, in the UK. See, the UK, yeah. of course, the UK are famous for keeping it short and sweet. The UK did a series; it was hugely successful. So they came back and did a wrap up movie to give a happy ending, and then they left it alone. By that stage, the Americans were like, we'll squeeze as much out of this as we can. And that's six or seven seasons uh, with yeah. the, that Showtime series that screened here in Australia on SBS. And I think there was a reunion special at one stage too. I'm, I'm not, not sure about that. I saw that listed in some of the credits. And apparently there's a, um, a French version is currently in development as well. So they're uh, <laughs> really milking the, um, the franchise. I can even remember it used to screen on SBS Mondays at 10 p.m. That became okay. a time. And, uh, yeah, all the guys were watching that, uh, let me tell you, James. <laughs> um, now, I alluded to at the start the um, possibly one of the more revolting things I've ever seen on, on TV. I'll, ask, I'll give, you a, give you a guess. Can you wonder what I might be talking about? Well, considering I sent you an email and said, James, could you watch the first five minutes of The Boys Season 3 premiere so we can talk about it on the podcast? I knew it was going to shock you. It shocked me. Every time I think I've seen it all on a streaming series, some new show comes along and tops it. And, see, that's what's really interesting about this Queer as Folk remake to me because Queer as Folk back in the day was really, really shocking with the sex scenes they showed. And I was like... How do you top that today when we've got shows like mm. Euphoria and Sex Education that are always taking things past a point that I didn't even know existed? And in actual fact, Queer as Folk doesn't try to be overly sexual or do that. They just do their thing. And meanwhile, it's The Boys, which is this send-up of Marvel superhero movies that takes it to an all-new level. James, would you like to explain what yeah. happens in the opening scene of The Boys Season 3? Well, there's a bit of a recap, I think, first of what's some of the things that happened before. Yeah, and then true. It, then it goes into, oh, it's just, it's just, it's just like a fantasy world. And but the shocking thing is this one, it's at a party, I guess, is it? And there's this person who can change, who can make himself miniature. Yeah, like Ant-Man, he's called Termite, but in the boys' okay. Yep. Yeah, and he reduces himself down to give people sexual pleasure, I guess, is, is one way I could put it. And, yeah. Yeah. and what, he, what he does with himself to give people sexual pleasure. And, oh, my Lord. But, um, well, wow. yeah, let's also say it's a party. They're taking a lot of cocaine and yeah. then he shrinks himself down. He dives in to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I wasn't going to give the detail, but go right ahead. He dives in to pleasure his boyfriend from the inside and then something unexpected happens. And, wow, I 
truly have not seen anything like that on TV, I think, ever. And also I've been reading up about it. They really did construct a giant piece of anatomy. There are pictures on social media of the actors covered in white substance, which is meant to look like cocaine because he's really shrinked down. Him and his Mm. stunt double with this giant appendage. It's just outrageous. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's when I had that's when I tuned out. I mean, not because of the not because of the giant appendage, but because of what happens. What happens? Oh, wow. yeah. I thought, okay, I've, I've seen enough explosions and enough. It's it's pretty gory. I mean, I and it's sort of almost acceptable because it's a fantasy. But um, I just thought, no, nah, this probably hasn't got much to offer me. Well, I think what The Boys is always trying to do is The Boys is, uh, you know, really a satire of those Marvel movies. And so yeah. they take <laughs> because these superheroes, it's all a fake front behind the scenes. They're horrible people taking drugs, having sex with their groupies. And this is what The Boys has always been about and the corrupt corporation that's, you know, supposedly, you know, you know, putting out superheroes to the world. But the whole thing, there's corruption galore there. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of fans for the boys, but it's not for everyone. No. And they, I mean, it's a big production. They've obviously spent a lot of money on on, on getting that, the quality that they wanted. But, wow, it's, I, I mean, it's almost, it seems like a, a, um, a super movie budget, you know, a um, superhero yeah. budget. Yeah, I'd say it's one of Amazon Prime's flagship shows now, so I think they know yeah. what they're doing. Well, there's obviously a market there for it, but uh, <laughs> not, not my market. Look, um, something else, Fire Island. Now, I haven't seen this yet, and I don't think it's launching till a little bit later in June. Now, now is this, yeah. a, this is just a movie, is that correct? Yeah, this is a movie. So June is Pride Month. So there's a lot of LGBTQIA plus programming at the moment and on every single streamer. I think it's really interesting, you know. You know, I've heard it and seen it written so many times. You've always got some conservative commentators saying, oh, Hollywood's shoving a liberal agenda and shoving a gay agenda down our throats. And you know what? That's so not true because Hollywood is a business and Hollywood isn't going to make gay-themed movies if it doesn't think there's an audience for them. And there is clearly a young audience for these films now because when you think about it, everyone's got them now. You know, uh, there's Heartstopper on Netflix, which we've talked about, which is hugely successful. And uh, now on Disney Plus in Australia, a movie that has been made for Hulu in America, Fire Island is a gay rom-com version of Bride and Prejudice, but with sex. Um, There's some raunchy stuff there, but those story beats of Pride and Prejudice with, you know, the Elizabeth Bennet character uh, thinking that the Darcy character is a bit of an arrogant a-hole and why would they ever want to be with them? That's all sort of there in this story of Fire Island, which is a very famous uh, strip of land that you catch a boat to somewhere off New York, I think it is, or is it down south in Florida? I always get confused between Provincetown and Fire Island. But it's a famous 
gay holiday vacation spot. And what's interesting about Fire Island is that there's, uh, it's very much seen through the lens of uh, the t- two Asian American uh, characters, which you don't see a lot of uh, in this genre. And indeed, they talk about the racism. And there are several scenes in the film where you've got all these beautiful white muscle boys at pool parties, and in comes this group of uh, people who aren't of that ethnic race, and you see everyone sort of turn and give them the once over. So Fire Island's got a lot to say, but it's also a sweet romantic comedy, despite the raunchy moments and Margaret Cho as their lesbian mom. So um, (laughs) check it out. It'll be on Disney next week, and it's not the last gay rom-com we're going to see. I know that Billy Eichner's made one, and it's uh, about to launch somewhere as well very soon. Okay, yeah, Fire Island, I think, is off uh, Long Island, so just off the um, the coast of New York. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, something else sort of, um, this is a, a decent segue, I guess, Kids in the Hall. Again, this is another franchise that's been around for quite some time, but it's uh, coming back. This one's going to be on Prime. So my understanding is that the kids in the hall never screened in Australia. The reason I am so familiar with it was when I was living in Toronto, Canada for five years, this show launched almost as soon as I got there. And I just remember the excitement of everyone, you know, that some local boys from Toronto were doing this sketch comedy show with executive producer Lorne Michaels from Saturday Night Live. And I remember that it used to screen in the US, but the US was always editing down some of the skits. You know, it was always a bit too much for American audiences. And Kids in the Hall made several series of the show. Some of the cast members went on to appear in US sitcoms like Dave Foley in news radio, and and people sort of know who Dave Foley is. And now after a 20-year break, the Kids in the Hall are back. They've made a series exclusively for Amazon Prime, so they don't have uh, CBC looking over their shoulder saying, you can't do that and you can't show that. They take full advantage of streaming and it's extra rude and more nudity than ever before and they send up <laughs> the fact that they have to be interred from the ground. They've, they've been thrown into a, a, a grave and there's a tombstone, the kids in the hall, and they dig them up and say, come on, do some more. But, look, I'd be fascinated to know what Aussie viewers think of the kids in the hall. I get the humour because I've seen the original show. I think it's really, really funny So, yeah, if anybody wants to contact me on social media that's never seen Kids in the Hall before and wants to tell me what they think as a first-time viewer, I would love to know. Okay, okay. Um, Now, just give us a plug for your Insta, too. You're on Instagram. You're pretty active on Twitter. But what's that? You've got a newish Instagram. What's the handle for that one? So the handle for my Insta is LGBT Aussie TV history, where I talk about all the queer milestones we did on Australian TV first. Um, so, yeah, uh, Kids in the Hall absolutely falls into this category because Scott Thompson, one of the five original guys, is gay, Has was and back 20 years ago. That was a big deal to be an openly gay comedian. And all of those boys participate in hilarious gay skits with him and they all love dressing up as women. They're a bit like Monty Python that way. There's five of them, um, but they dress up as women and they don't send up women in a nasty way. They just, as Monty Python does, will play a female character. Yeah, I'd love to know what people think about it. 
Sure. Okay. So we'll continue on this theme and talk a little bit about uh, what you know about Queens for the Night, which is going to um, feature Courtney Act. Yeah, this is amazing. So um, Courtney Act, uh, who I saw on uh, Channel 7 this morning uh, on the morning show, uh, Courtney Act is now going to be part of a major one-off night on ITV. And it's interesting, when I read about this, they were comparing it to the full Monty. And we know that uh, down here in Australia, Seven jumped on that and bought the format. And the full Monty was a bunch of celebrities learn how to strip in Queens for the Night a bunch of celebrities learn how to be drag queens and then, of course, they're going to do a show and, I suppose, do fashion and all this sort of stuff. And Courtney Act is going to be one of the judges for this one-off event. So that's going to happen uh, fairly soon and it'll be interesting to see if some Australian network, like a Channel 7, buys Queens for the Night to do it down here in Australia. It feels to me like there's a lot of drag shows on TV now in the wake of RuPaul's Drag Race. It feels like everybody's doing a version of it. I'd say it's uh, it's pretty likely that we'll see this down in Australia at some point. Yeah, look, fascinating. Some of the other people on the show are Melanie C., uh, the British comedian uh, Rob Beckett, and uh, the actor Leighton Williams. Um, so yeah. it's going to be an interesting cast, hosted by Lorraine Kelly, who's a pretty big star in the UK. She's got her own um, daytime TV show simply called Lorraine. So yeah. it's, going to, it's going to be a pretty big deal for ITV. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, just quickly, I wanted to mention too, I mean, you, you talked about how, you know, in recent times being a gay comedian was a pretty big deal. I mean, it, we've still got a long way to go though, haven't we? Because I remember I was watching an episode of the – the British location, location, location. Um, there's a new season just come out, and there was a, a, a two women who were, who were living together, partners, and they were looking at a place in Bristol. And she said, "Yeah, you know, look." She was a bit iffy about the property, and and Kirsty and Phil were talking to her about it. And she goes, "Look, you know, my, myself and my partner are pretty expressive about our our relationship. We like to, you know, we go out." We hold hands, you know, we, we're affectionate if we feel the need to be. And she said, you've, you've always got to be careful where you think about moving to because you're not sure how that's going to be accepted in that community. So there's, a, there's a still a big stigma, isn't there, attached to it for a lot of people? Look, I lived uh, several years in a small regional town uh, in Australia and I absolutely saw then that, you know, when you live in a city, you think that, you know, uh, the LGBT rights were allowed to marry that we've got all this freedom now that life is so much better. You go to a small town in regional Australia and you'll find that the gay people in that town are terrified about coming out still, even in 2022. But you know what? The, the culture is changing and society is changing. And in particular, I noticed on the Platinum concert last uh, week for the Queen that Duran Duran was singing Girls on Film and they had these models walking down a fashion runway as a tribute to British fashion. And as they came down, I suddenly went, hang on, that's a trans woman. Hang on, that's a man in a dress. And I love the way that this is just kind of being presented now and that, you know, we, we don't... Uh, think, oh, my God, what's that man doing in a dress now? We look at it because of shows like RuPaul's Drag Race and think, wow, 
girl, you look fierce. Good on you, mate. You know, so I think that's the difference we're seeing. And, and it's very much happening in a younger generation. The kids that are watching Heartbreaker and the kids that are going to watch Fire Island and all of this LGBTQIA plus programming, they're the ones that won't even bat an eyelid if their straight mate says, hey, I think I might wear a dress to a party tonight. And uh, that's where we're going as a, as a culture. And I'm right here for it. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, I want to talk briefly about Borgen, which I alluded to last week, season four. I've watched the first one. Um, look, it's pretty good. It's it's quite faithful. If you're a Borgen fan, I think you will enjoy it. Um, if we remember Borgen, it was about, you know, the, the first female Danish prime minister. Um, I think Birgitte, I keep wanting to call her Bridget, but I think it's Birgitte Nyborg was the character. Um now, she's back in the new season, but she's no longer the Prime Minister. She's the Foreign Minister. And it starts off with some of the challenges that um, she's facing. There's, there's oil has been discovered off the coast of Greenland, which is a, um, is a Danish territory, and that creates all sorts of problems because I think it's a Russian drilling company that find it. Um, Canada gets involved in wanting to... I think get some of their oil or take a JV, and that has repercussions back in um, Denmark about well how they how they deal, what happens to the revenue from this oil. You know, does it belong to long, belong to Greenland? Uh, is Russia's involvement is Canada trying to grab some of of that as well? So that's all sort of. Then there's the sort of there's a there's another uh, woman who's currently the the um, Prime Minister of Denmark, and there's sort of a bit of a power struggle between her and her predecessor about who gets to sort of deal with this problem. So there's lots of levels of intrigue. A lot of the original characters are back. Um, Torben, who was a news producer, was my favourite character in the original. He's still working in the newsroom about the, the biggest sort of current affairs show in Denmark. Um, Brigitte Neuborg's former assistant is back, but she has a new role. She's moved into the news and current affairs space and she's sort of running the, the biggest TV show or the biggest news and current affairs show in, um, in Denmark. So, yeah, look, I found it really interesting. It'll be good to see how it develops. There's been some mixed reviews saying, look, it's a little bit dull and dreary. But then the, the original wasn't a, you know, it's no boys, you know, there's no exploding heads. It's, no, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's fairly calm in comparison, but, but I, I really liked it. There's sort of, you know, it's, um, so there's a lot there for, to keep fans interested. Look, before we wrap up this week, I want to just talk about what I'm... Notes. Sorry? Can I just ask, I, is, yeah, is Borgen, could you watch this series of Borgen if you haven't watched any of the previous season? Is it a standalone on its own series? I think so, yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to say because you know what's going on, but I think you probably could. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, you definitely could, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, before we wrap this, a few, I want to talk about what I'm doing next week, but we're going to talk about your look back at our retro TV. What have you been watching from the past? Well, 
out of nowhere, and I'm presuming this is because the ABC is, a, is celebrating its 90th birthday this year, suddenly Parkinson in Australia, filmed in 1979, was on ABC at 12.30 in the middle of the night. And this friend of mine texted me the next day and was like, oh, my God, and I went to iView and it was there. So I stuck it into my Foxtel IQ and every day I go look at it, they're playing episodes in the middle of the day and all of a sudden all these episodes are online and they're the most amazing Australian identities. You've got Jack Thompson, Barry Humphreys, Don Dunstan, Bob Hawke, Kate Fitzpatrick. It just goes on and on and on. Carol Ray from the Mavis Bramston show. All of these people being interviewed by Michael Parkinson in 1979 and 1980. I think the ABC made two series. So you'll never be able to watch it on the ABC. It's all over the, the schedule, but they're all there to watch on iView. And honestly, you'll you'll bring it up and you'll just go through. I've been going through. There was an episode with Frank Thring. I was like, oh, I'm watching that one straight away. Um, so, yeah, there's just some really, really fascinating Australian celebrities, some of whom aren't still with us today, uh, and Congratulations to the ABC for doing this. I'd like to see more nostalgic stuff like this from the ABC. Now they've got a reason to do it. It's their 90th birthday. I saw the ad on TV last night for a big live event they're going to be doing, which I think is June the 30th, as hosted by Zan Rowe, Tony Armstrong and Craig Rucastle, which will be a live celebration of the 90th birthday. But, look, here's the opportunity. Shove a whole bunch of uh, great ABC shows from the past onto iView and I will be watching. Yeah, look at that. I think there's probably about, IMDb tells me, 75 episodes of Parkinson in Australia. So wow. there's a, I'm, I'm not sure how many of them they've got, but they've got them all. There's uh, plenty of viewing. Well, I will say I don't know whether 75 episodes were all made with the ABC because Parkinson, Michael Parkinson oh, that's was right. brought down. By the ABC, and as was the case back then, any time something was successful on the ABC, commercial TV came sniffing around, offered more money, and sure enough, Parkinson, Parkinson in Australia ended up on Channel 10. Um, so, yeah, I'm not quite sure if there's 75 episodes, but there's going to right. at least be, I would imagine, uh, maybe half or a third of them. Okay, yeah. It's like it, the, the Parkinson in Overall, I think there's over 500 episodes, something like 31 seasons. It's an uh, amazing, um, amazing um, body of work that he did. Did you were you ever involved in that? Foxtel did a special called "An Evening with Michael Parkinson." I was lucky enough to get an invite to the audience for that one. Did you go to that at all? Yeah, I do remember that. Did Did Ray Martin interview him? I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I remember being in the, something like the State Theatre, uh, sitting up in the dress circle and just going, yes, absolutely, I will go to an evening with Michael Parkinson. I mean, he's one of the world's great television interviewers. Interestingly, though, when you watch these episodes on ABC, there's a disclaimer beforehand that says, a warning, some of the attitudes expressed in this show uh, do not reflect current standards and every now and then you do see a moment like that where you go oh yeah right okay so yeah such was the time and just a quick story back in um michael parkinson i think he's one of his children uh, moved to australia and lived on the central coast 
and and he was also a big cricket fan. So he used to come and he loved to spend his summers in um, Australia, and he yeah. rented a house in the eastern suburbs every summer. And I used to see him down the beach a fair bit. So he, he used to get up early and he'd go down for an early morning swim. So I always got a bit of a buzz out, out for a morning walk and you'd come home and go, I just saw Parky, you know. <laughs> it's Going interesting, down. isn't it? You know, we were doing that a lot in the 70s. We were, if you were a big star in uh, Britain, there was a pretty good chance you were seen on Australian TV. I mean, look at it. We brought Patrick Cargill down to make Father, Dear Father, in Australia with Sigrid Thornton. We brought down, we did Love Thy Neighbour in Australia. We, we were remaking, Are You Being Served in Australia? We were oh, remaking yeah. sitcoms and the two Ronnies came and did an In Australia episode and, of course, Parkinson got on that bandwagon, but I think he came here probably more than all of them put together in the end. Yeah, Dave Allen was another one. I think he worked a lot for Seven. He was a long yeah. time, a, a big star on Seven and, and came Absolutely. here a lot. Yeah. yeah. Look, let's wrap this up. Look, a couple of things that I'm I'm looking out for next week. Um, I'm finally wrapping up some shows that we've talked about in past weeks. So I've, I've found it hard to find the time, but I finally finished Gentleman Jack this week and thoroughly enjoyed the the rest of that series. Um, Gaslit. Um, I I knocked off the rest of that too. It ended a little bit abruptly, I thought, but look. That was very enjoyable. I, I really like that. Something I'm looking forward to next, next week, and maybe we could call this another one of our favourite English actresses, is Leslie Manville has got an interesting new series which has just started screening here. So I'm going to jump onto that and we'll talk about that next week. Oh, yes, I love Leslie Manville. Yeah, look, uh, next Monday my tip is 10 Peach will start screening double episodes of Neighbours from uh, next Monday so that we can catch up to the UK and all be watching that finale, uh, the one-hour final episode on Monday, August the 1st. And the big news this week was uh, the pictures of Guy Pearce on set. So he's returning to Ramsey Street too. So that means we've got Scott and Charlene and Jane and Mike all coming back for the end. And, you know, again, I take off my hat to Guy Pearce, Kylie Minogue, Jason Donovan and all the other big stars that have made the pilgrimage back to pay homage to the show that launched their career. It's going to be such a great send-off for Neighbours. They must be thrilled that so many of the big stars have come back to it. Wonderful stuff. All right, Andrew, look, great talking with you as always and we'll do it again next week. Thanks, James. Have a good week.